Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sanderlanch podcast. Today, we are finishing The Emperor's Soul with days 98 and then the epilogue, day 101. And then we are jumping into kind of introducing ourselves to the next world on the list by reading the Dramanad system essay. So in that stuff, uh, Shai finishes the Emperor's soul and then things get a little bit hectic. And then obviously the essay is just, we learn about uh, a new system. So not, uh, not actually all that terribly much. I am data. And with me is Jack, Jamie, and Joe. So hang on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. So, yeah, what did you guys think of the end of this? We've now finished The Emperor's Soul, and then, of course, we got a little bit of the other. I don't know how much I'll have to say about that, but uh, so what did you think? This was cool. Like, as far as short stories go, I think they wrapped it up as much as it could. Part of me is like, oh, I wish we got a bit more. Like, I'm kind of of annoyed that Fraba didn't get any comeuppance uh, in the end that we see, but I guess for the length of the story, they couldn't really delve into it too much. Um, She got a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Not, not to the extent I was hoping. Yeah, that's fair. That really got reserved for Captain Zoo, which was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That that bit was just like, yeah, yeah. Everything Shy did to get out, uh, I really, uh, yeah. This this whole story, I'm just like, this one's really cool, really fun, and part, and like, I'm really just going, damn, I wish this had been longer. But if it had been longer, would it have lost some of its effect? Like, I'm not sure. Like, part of me's like, oh, this was the perfect length for a story like this. Another part of me's like, no, I want more. Damn it. So. <laughs> I don't know, make of that what you will. But I really enjoyed it. This story is, yeah, I can see why you rate it so highly. I think it's definitely up there for me as well. Nice. Yeah, I I, I think the thing is, it's like this, the story works really well, compressed the way it is, because you get the same feeling that, you know, she's in this hurry this whole time to do this stuff fast. And the length of the story gives you the same feeling because you're skipping these days and popping in to see her like going crazier and crazier as you go. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, this is cool magic and I want to know more. I want to see more like other stuff that it could do. So, yeah. 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 I liked it. I know we've sort of talked about in our predictions that, you know, we'd like to see this happen or Galton as the bad guy or, you know, all sorts of things coming up. There really wasn't time in the story to tell those, those sorts of stories. I think we were looking for, and I think we've been looking for those because we are used to having so much so much more material to consume in each story Mm. but i liked it i i thought it was good that we we had some things wrapped up pretty neatly i i actually liked that the soul stamp worked and worked even better really than galtona thought and the nice little nod to her taking the picture Mm. as well you know and ultimately she's got this fantastic forgery sitting you know in the highest place like actually on the throne which is really cool also like seeing her use her own stamps to sort of get away and and how they kind of came together for her I thought that was that was pretty cool and other stamps that she created on the way to to get things done you know transforming the horse I thought that was quite clever because 
you know, she's obviously gone and stolen the prize steed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was that was a nice little touch as well. And I thought there was a lot of detail and it wrapped really nicely. So I, I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, we didn't get, like we talked about last time, like the stamp that would never be used. We didn't see that one, but we did get like three other of her as, five essence marks. So maybe that yeah. counts for something. Yeah. So I, um, I thought this was a good ending. I, I think it wrapped up the best way that it could have, um, given, given what what little time we had in the story. Um, and it is kind of, it, it's sweet that this is a short story, but it's also kind of bitter because I feel like there's a lot of stuff kind of left out there, um, especially after seeing her use the stamps that the way she did that, that we could have, could have seen, could have uh, heard about, could have read about that would have been uh, more interesting. But at the same time, like I, I totally get what this story was going for. the, the overall um, story that it was trying to tell was about, you know, trust, genuineness, being true to oneself, art, all that kind of stuff. So really cool uh, message for sure. Just not quite maybe what I would hoped the ending would turn out. But but we, you know, she got away. Um, we just didn't get much after that. So but yeah, it's uh, it was a good, good little ending. And then um, I'm always interested to learn more about each of these planets so the little part we read at the end about the new system piqued my interest quite a bit especially because uh, there's several several habitable planets so right. uh, maybe what we're going to read next will span several planets as opposed to just being stuck on one which you know i say stuck uh, you know there's <laughs> plenty there's plenty of story to tell on one planet but it'd be it'd be kind of cool if this new uh if this new thing we're going to read is is kind of like about globe trotting and things like that. So, yeah, interested to see what uh what what come what's coming up next. Yeah. Uh, it's, I like I, you stuck on one planet. Like every book that's ever been written on Earth, uh, or that <laughs> takes place, you know, in in our in our world is right. like, oh, we're stuck on one planet. How lame. Yeah, I realized after I said it, I was just like, uh, that's probably not the best way to say that because I mean, come on. <laughs> oh yeah, my but, favorite book is The Martian. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I agree. The ending is kind of like, oh, I want to, I want to know more about like what Shy does next now. And she, I guess her plan at the end is to hide out for several months or something. And then she's like, I'm gonna hunt down the Imperial fool who betrayed me. And I'm just like, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, you ain't getting your hands on the sexy drifter, that's for sure. <laughs> he's drifted on. It's would it be so. Would it be so cool if she did though? Like he's on another planet in a totally other book, <laughs> and somebody shows up. Ah, I gotcha. I'll teach you. <laughs> and you're like, wait, Shy. I'm just I'm just sort of imagining like whatever Brandon is building towards with the whole Cosby story and uh, whatever the sexy drifter is up to, like it's like that's all going to climax in one novel that brings all this stuff together and he's it's like standing over Adonalsium's corpse and he's about to like take the last vestiges of power out of it all or something and then Shy just pops out of a portal behind him and puts a knife in his neck. <laughs> that's it's like where's the damn scepter. <laughs> Kelsier and everyone else who's assembled is just like the hell's that about? <laughs> He's made a lot of enemies. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but I am gonna actually I'm gonna put in our chat in case at some point you guys want to read. This is uh, his deleted scene that was the original prologue that was uh, Hoyd hanging out and like talking to her while she's in prison. So if you feel like reading it at some point, you can totally check that out. Uh, and it's 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 very it's very him. You're like oh yeah okay I I, I see his attitude in here. 
even if it doesn't say exactly. Uh, okay, I guess let us get into this thing, these chapters. So we start out day 98, which we left on day 97 when she'd initiated her escape plan, but it requires one extra night. And we come we come back the next morning, the sun's just coming up, and she has finished the stamp. Finally, she's just like sitting there staring at it, like, oh my gosh, I'm done. Apparently Soulstone looks kind of like soapstone, but with red mixed into it, as if drops of blood had stained it. I'm trying to picture this this rock. It's kind of weird. Hmm, yeah. She's soapstone is not a thing, right? Uh, that's a thing. Hold on. I'm going to Google this because I'm pretty sure it's Because I was thing. like, it soapstone? looks like this thing, but I also thing. have no idea what it looks like. Soapstone mm-hmm. is a talc schist sort of rock, apparently. Uh, composed largely of magnesium rich mineral talc. Oh, the magnesium rich min- mineral talc. Okay, that makes sense. Mm, okay. So yeah, and uh, it looks like there's actually several different colors it can be, but it's got kind of a whitish, the 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 m- most common one apparently has this whitish. I see why they call it soapstone. I could, it, it's kind of soapy looking in this picture. So now I'm trying to imagine oh. this with like red streaks. That that would look cool. Yeah. And she, she's like, I'm working on like three or four hours of sleep in the last three days. Maybe I can get some sleep. And she, no, no, if I go to sleep, I'm going to wake up dead. Also, I can't even use the bed. I've already uh, already messed that up. Yeah. Also, you can't wake up dead. <laughs> That's what you think. Like her, 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 like cognitive thing is gonna wake up in the cognitive realm. <laughs> be like, hey, my body's there. What happened? Yeah. Maybe she becomes an Elantrian. It's as close as you could get to waking up dead, I imagine. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Routing that that that's how that that story should have started. Routing's like, and I woke up dead. <laughs> And she's just sitting there staring at the thing, and there's a whole sidebar about, like, she never understood why her ancestors worshipped, like, stuff they made themselves when they made these idols or whatever. But now she gets it, kind of. <laughs> I wonder if there are any, like, uh, books where they, that's a line in it, like, I woke up dead. I bet you I bet you it is. Yeah, I'm sure it's somewhere. Google that phrase now. I woke up dead. <laughs> when I type in I woke up, the the, the first autocomplete is I woke up with a strange tattoo by a song by hot cello Ray. Okay. And there's a, a something, there's a book called I woke up dead at the mall. And then another book called this morning, I woke up dead. So I guess, yeah. <laughs> when Sarah wakes up dead at the mall of America, she learns that not only was she murdered, her killer is still on the loose. Oh no. <laughs> a killer ducked a Kmart. Really, really needed some discount Lego. Oh my gosh! Like I must, there's a bunch of stuff. Like yesterday, I woke up dead. The day I woke up dead. Uh, a song by the Tower Blocks called "I Woke Up Dead." See, so yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop looking at that now. But it's, it, yeah, that's a rabbit hole. It's a thing that people say apparently. Yeah, the guard, one of the guards is just like, is, is it done? And she's like, oh right, they have no idea what's going on. Because when she says, when she nods, they're like, what is it? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot that the regular guards have no clue. They're probably going to end up assigned to like remote outposts for the rest of their lives so that they don't have even a chance of figuring out what happened. Hopefully they don't get executed. It'd be harsh. You don't wonder about Zoo after this, actually. Like he's he's the only one who knows. Maybe they're going to kill him, especially after what a poor job he did of uh, <laughs> stopping her. You had one job. You had one job to do. You tosses. You had one job to do. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Don Cheadle's oh, British bastard. accent is great. Yeah. It's so much fun. <laughs> Uh, and the the door opens, and she's like, oh, crap, is it the blood sealer? 
And she's so concerned, like in her head and tired, thinking about the blood sealer coming in when he's not supposed to, that she doesn't notice that it's actually Zoo. And he tells the other guards to get out. And it's like, you're relieved for the day. I'll watch until shift change. And uh, she tries to claim that the stamp isn't ready yet. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I get to kill you anyway. I believe I promised you something three months ago. We have an unsettled debt. He takes it so seriously, which she didn't even really do anything to him personally. <laughs> She's just like, are you still on about that? Three months. Like, get over it, dude. And Sue's all bragging to her about, yeah, you thought you were so sneaky. You didn't realize that we had another forger who was going to finish your work. You didn't anticipate this, did you, liar? I'm going to enjoy killing you. Enjoy it so much. It's a little bit sadistic, dude. Yeah, this guy's a freak. And so she maneuvers herself so the bed is between them. He grins at her and jumps up on the bed, and it collapses. She, While crawling under the bed in, during the night, she used one of the stamps she made to forge the wood of the bed frame so that it was horribly damaged, and she also cut the mattress up. And then she forged the floor so that the wooden supports had really bad water damage and had rotted away, which we talked about forging the floor to like make some sort of escape and we're like but it's marble like what's she gonna marble has to be yeah. supported by something so and so zoo falls down there and she's like he's he'd probably live because she was intending the trap for one of the regular guards that she actually liked not this guy if it was this guy she maybe she would have forged just like oh no the room below us is full of spikes for some reason <laughs> what a shame but he does he manages to slice what she thinks is just her uh, her outfit with his sword. But what we find out later is he managed to give her a bit of a cut and got some blood on his sword. She goes to the door, and the blood sealer's mark is still there, but it's fading, and she's got to wait. She's sitting there with, waiting to see, are the guards going to come for shift change? Is the blood sealer going to come? Is somebody else going to come? Is Zoo going to wake up, or will she be able to get free before any of that happens? And finally, it looks like her plan worked. The guards must have roughed the dude up a little bit last night. Uh, he slept a little too late. And the mark disappears, and she runs for it. Doesn't actually run for it. She's very specific that she walks with, like, a determined pace, like she knows where she's going, because that's how you don't be noticeable. And she knows that she should try to escape, but she can't help herself. She's got the Emperor's soul stamp, and she has to use it and find out if it worked. And I like the part where she manages to get into the Emperor's quarters because she forged herself like Gautona's seal and signature. And it's like, it's very convenient how he'd let her tell him how to maintain security on the Emperor's rooms. Yeah, I don't know if that occurred to anyone at the time, but it's like, man, <laughs> what a good idea. It was clever. Yep. Emperor's still in there, lying there, all uh, staring ahead blankly. And she, she has a little speech to him. It's like, I wish I could know you and I know all the stuff about you, but... I don't ask much, just that you live, just that you be. I've done what I can. Let it be enough. And she, she turns, she puts the stamp in, it takes a second to lock and turn, and he wakes up and looks around, and what happened? There was an attack. I, I was wounded. Oh, Mother of Lights, Krishina, she's dead. So I guess that's his wife's name. Yeah, he hasn't had a chance to deal with, uh, he doesn't didn't have his 100 days of grieving over his wife. Yeah, it's true. Shame. Poor guy. And then he's like, wait a second, who are you? And she has to explain. She's like, so look, um, you're wounded real bad and I've healed you, but uh, I used something considered unsavory by some parts of your culture. And so she explains, you know, you'll have to be stamped every day. Here's there's a metal plate in this box. You got to keep it with you at all times. Without these, you die. And I, I don't even know what this part is about where he's like, give it to me. And it says she hesitated. She wasn't certain why. And then he says, give it to me more forcefully. And she hands it to him. 
I don't know what that's supposed to indicate that she's hesitating to give it to him, but I was just like, why would it's his thing? Why would you not give it to him? <laughs> and she does. She does let him know only the arbiters know about what's been done. Don't go around uh, mentioning this to anybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing her hesitation was just based on the fact that she she had worked so long on this thing and that giving it up, even though she's supposed to, is kind of a weird thing for her. Cause she's been guarding uh, it, protecting that it. That makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Spent all this time working on this impossible task, and you just asked me to hand it over. So what else? <laughs> and, and then he just goes, "Well, what else are you going to use it for?" Right? Yeah, I can't. He can't. She can't use it. Rather, so um, I want to keep it and try it out on myself. Maybe I'll be emperor. Don't think that's how that works. Uh, I'm going to rewrite my history so I was the emperor. <laughs> but uh, he tells her to leave and don't return. If no one's supposed to know, she can't stay here. And then he's like, "I should probably have you killed for knowing my secret." And she's like, yep, there's that selfishness that he learned during his years in the palace. And I, she's like, but you won't. And he goes, I won't. And then go before I change my mind. And her final word is, words are, do better this time, please. And then she runs off. And I like the, the, the next paragraph or two where it talks about how she thought about, like, writing into him a desire to protect her so that he could help her out and she wouldn't get, you know, caught or executed. But that would have undermined the whole thing. Because there's no reason for it to exist, so it might have damaged the integrity of the stamp overall. And also, he's not allowed to see anybody for another couple days, so he might not have even been able to protect her. So there there was really no point in trying. She makes it out, and she's going to just walk out when she feels uh, a, a bit of pain in her side. Just like when the blood sealer stamps the door in the morning. And that's when she realizes she got a little cut. He must have had some blood on his sword, and the blood sealer got a hold of that blood, and he is sending his skeletals after her. So, yeah, that ain't good. She was. It looked like she was home free. I don't know. Did anyone think at that point that that was the end of it? She was going to get out before we find out? Oh, no. We were going to see the bone monsters. <laughs> there had to be some kind of challenge, yeah. yeah. I almost wish the bone monsters had stayed in the shadows. Yeah, they weren't all that impressive, but I... It's hard to be impressive against uh, super warrior shy, so they might have been better in other circumstances. Because Zoo is yeah, apparently pretty good also, and he got his ass kicked. I almost would have wanted a confrontation with Frava. Mm, yeah. Of course, after she becomes shy of the fist, uh, she's not real chatty, so it might not have been that interesting. That's true. And uh, well, I don't just to see Frava get dicked. Yeah, yeah, okay, I would have tuned in for that, yeah, sure. I don't know if anyone notices the line where as she's running, she bowled, she almost bowled over a southern ambassador in red priest's armor. Oh, yeah. Definitely was like, oh, what's one of, what's one of those Bjorn uh, doing there? Right. Something's going on. There's and... also there's also mention of Teod in this uh, last chapter, which I thought was interesting. Oh, was there? I don't remember that one. Yeah, it's like the yeah, guys getting the reassigned guards. to the Teowish Peninsula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh well. So when she finds out the blood sealer's on her trail, she kind of panics, and it takes a little bit before she's like, "Oh wait, I, I have to think about this logically. I have to, I have to go to my backup plan. It's not a great plan, but it's the best I got at this point." And so she's run through like half the palace towards an exit before she kind of calms herself, and then she has to turn around and go back the way she just came, past all the people that she shocked by running by, and ends up back, pretty much at almost right back to the emperor's doors to the she's down the hall and the guards at the emperor's doors can see her and they're like wait what's she, what's that person doing there they can't leave because they have to guard the emperor's chambers but it says that they're like yelling at her or something like, hey what what's going on 
But that's when Gautona shows up and he's like, why are you here? And she tells him it worked. And he goes, you tried the stamp of all the hasty, insane, foolish. Why'd you come? Why did you not run when you had the chance? And she's like, I had to know. And Gautona tells her the blood sealer's on your trail. You summon those things to get you. But here's the backup plan. He has her box of, uh, of essence marks. And as he hands it to her, he's like, you knew that I'd come here and that I'd have these and that I'd give them to you. I've been played. Which is a funny counterpoint to as she's coming back and she's like, I hope I'm right about this guy. If he turns out to be like the best scam artist ever, like way better than me, then I'm (laughs) screwing myself right now. But yeah, that would be real bad if he's like, psych, I have reverse engineered your essence marks. And now I am Gautona of the fist. And he like (laughs) comes punches her right in the gut. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be an interesting hurdle. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No one was expecting that. The Spanish Inquisition all over again. And he's just like, how did you? I was certain I hadn't been manipulated. How did you do it? I ran here half knowing I'd find you, knowing you'd need these. And she's like, I did manipulate you, but uh, by being genuine. And he's like, you can't manipulate people by being genuine. And she's like, sure you can. Isn't that what you do all the time? Speak honestly and teach people what to expect from you, then expect them to be honest to you in return. And she go, he goes, it's not the same. And she's like, no, nah, it's not, but it's the best I can manage being uh, the shady sort of t- uh, person I am. And she says, it was the only way to get you on my side. He's like, I'm not on your side, but I don't want you killed either, particularly not by those things. So it's interesting. I don't know uh, that I even picked up on it until this read, but she she says nights with an, as an exclamation, and they say days, which I guess is part of their whole 88 sons thing, maybe. But it makes you wonder, like, what her people believe, that she's like, nights. Yeah. Because he says that he says, take these days, take them and go before I change my mind. And then on the same page, she's 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 telling him, remember, when you when you think about me, remember that it worked nights. It worked. And she has her sweet moment where she's like, if I get away, I'm going to change that essence mark. I'm never going to use. And I'll add memories of a kindly grandfather who saved my life, a man of wisdom and compassion who I'm respected, whom I respected very much. And he's got a tear in his eye. And I love She's like, if, if she hadn't been on the edge of panic, she would have felt proud of that and then ashamed of being proud. That That's how she was. <laughs> that's so sweet, and she's never going to use it. <laughs> she's never going to give you up. Sorry. <laughs> and we get a very brief Gautona perspective where he he's walking towards the, the Emperor's room, and he's like, the passage into the future of the Rose Empire. We're going to be led by someone not really alive. Just please let it not be a monster. Jeez, that would suck if the stamp worked and it took and it somehow made him like a horrible monster. Uh, okay, so then we got Shy going down the hall. We get kind of the backstory on her her warrior essence mark, where it makes her think she spent the last 15 years among the Tiulu people, training her in their martial arts. And after she uses the stamp, there's a minute where she remembers both lives. And then it's the warrior one that kind of takes over. Even it changes her body. She becomes all tough and lean and her hair gets shorter. And she's got a scar, doesn't need glasses anymore. And she told us before that most of the essence marks, when she uses them, she retains knowledge of who she really is. And it says that it's like she remembers all the stuff that happens and knows about the stamp and that this life she remembers now is a fake. But it doesn't feel that way. So that's interesting. I can't picture what that would be like. You have this whole life and you know that it's not real, but it feels real. So it's good enough. 
Was it, when she was talking about that, was it in the moment of the stamp taking effect she knew of both, or it's once the stamp took effect she knew of both? Well, it says that, like, at 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 that moment she remembers both lives, and then the former, after it takes effect, the former life fades, and she's got this warrior up front, and she's lost knowledge of how to create stamps and all that stuff, so she doesn't remember that part, but what she does know is it says she retained the knowledge of what she'd just done with the stamp to her arm, and she knew that this life she now remembers is fake. So she doesn't necessarily yeah. remember the other life, yeah, okay. but she knows that what she does remember is fake. So yeah, she knows that something else to, going on. Back to the, um, the part there, this, this part confused me when I was reading it, when she was saying she remembered, yada, yada, yada. One of them was like being captured for two years. What Do we know what that's referring to? Uh, hold on. I'm reading, uh, being captured, forced to sit in that cell. Hold on, let me see. Years. Maybe I just read it wrong. Maybe it didn't say years. Uh, no, I'm going to find out. Hold on. She rem- oh, she remembered two years locked away, planning and creating this essence mark. Oh, so it was when she created that thing. Got it. Yeah. So it took, uh, she and she told us that it takes like years to do one of these. So that makes sense. And uh, so she's going down the hall and a door opens and Zoo pops out. He's had time to put a bandage on a forehead gash. His clothing's all torn from his fall, but he's like, he's pissed. And he's like, you've done it now. I'm going to enjoy. I take pleasure in gutting you, boy. And then uh, <laughs> I, this is a very cinematic moment to me. It feels like uh, in the, the Sherlock Holmes movies where he does the thing in his head where he predicts how the fight's going to go. And then there's kind of this slow motion where he goes through the, the motions of it and it goes exactly like he thought. But it's just like she walks in. One strike breaks his wrist, makes him drop his sword, chops him in the throat, and then punches him in the chest, shattering six ribs. So three quick strikes, and he is done. And then as he's falling over, she takes the knife off his belt, whips it up to cut the tie on his cloak, and takes his cloak as she's walking by. <laughs> it's just such a badass moment. It's like Shy might have said something, but Shy Zan didn't have patience for witticisms or jibes. A warrior kept moving like a river. And she's like, yeah, he, he'll live, but he won't hold a sword again for months. And so he's just and we find out after this next fight that it did, never even occurred to me until you get to that part. But like, I guess it's the same room that she fights the skeletons in. And he's just lying there incapacitated and watching this whole thing as she beats up <laughs> all the skeletons. Yeah, that that guy's going to know better than to try to come after her after this. I think I got off lucky. OK, <laughs> so yeah, five white limbed creatures too thin to be alive pointed teeth and there's some parts where bones are missing and wood carved replacements have been attached and she very quickly like intuits that some of the replacement bones aren't needed to fight so why replace them unless if enough bones are messed up or removed the creatures stop working so she's like okay i know what to do now it's very quick, very, very quick warrior uh, approach to it, where she's like, I'm not even going to second guess this. This is what I figured out, and I'm going to go for it. Although we find out as she takes out the first one by just reaching through its rib cage and grabbing the spine and yanking out some vertebra, that uh, apparently all the bones are sharpened, which, damn, that's hardcore. Ugh. So she cuts herself on uh, the sternum as she's pulling her arm back out. And I'm trying to picture it. It's like the skeletons, apparently their teeth are sharpened because it says they're pointed, unless they're made from a species that just has pointed teeth, which I guess is possible. 
but also like I guess the ribs and shit are filed to sharpened edges. That's that's scary. Yep. Seems like time consuming. Like <laughs> also true. Yep. Yeah. It's like how many bones do you have to sharpen? Like, geez, this is too many. <laughs> like, what but happens then, if you've got like a, a spinal column and you sh- and you're, like you're trying to sharpen it, you accidentally make it too like weak and it snaps. It's like, oh, I've got to go find another spinal column. <laughs> Such a hassle. Yeah. But if you, I guess if you're sharpening stuff like uh, you know, the arm bones, then if your guy loses his sword, then he can just be smacking people with his arms, and it works almost as well. Sure. A lot of a lot a lot of potential benefits there. Yeah, she takes out the first one real real quick, rips out the vertebra, and it falls down. So there's four left, three behind her, and one in front. She gra- grabs one skull by the eye sockets, and the thing gets her in the arm with its sword at the same time. So she takes a bad wound to the arm. But she just rips the skull free, and the rest of the body falls down. Which, hey, there, that's easy. You only need to remove that one bone, and you're good. And it's got those convenient handholds with the eyes. So, you know, these things aren't so intimidating except for how creepy and horrifying they are. And then she uses the skull to, like, block a sword strike from another one, which that's also very cool. I don't know. Smashes that one skull into the one of the other one's skulls and shatters both of them. So now those are down. There's only two left. She manages to get the hold of the spine of another one as it's uh, as they're fighting and ganks some more vertebra free. So down to one. She takes them out real fast. Like, this is... The sort of fight that in, like, Mistborn could go on for a while with one versus five. I think we might have gotten a whole chapter or something. But uh, I guess Shy of the Fist is just so badass that they go down, bam, bam, bam. Not that that stops them from doing some serious damage. She takes another sword strike to the side. The last one's got, like, two swords, and he's, like, swinging them at her, and she has to grab the arms and hold them back. And then she headbutts it. And I like it's it says that worked worse in real life than it did in stories. So she headbutts the thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, she's no Vin. <laughs> yeah, she has some pewter going for her. And then that would have been a whole different story. But yeah, she she headbutts it so hard that the skull cracks and rolls free from the rest of the body. But she got herself a big cut on her own forehead and maybe even cracked her own skull, she thinks. And she kind of falls over and has to fight to not go unconscious. She's got these two wounds that are bleeding a lot, and she's uh, now got a head wound, too, so she's not doing super well. She has to bind her wounds real quick with pieces of her own blouse and then uh, get Zoo's cloak again. And it says gathered all five of the skulls. It said that she destroyed at least two of them, so I don't know if she's got maybe there are big pieces left. I don't know. But uh, she puts the skulls in the cloak and carries them like I just imagine like this bleeding Santa Claus with a big bag slung over her shoulder full of skulls. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, this guy's going to be somewhere close. And she finds him like hiding in a closet. He's dazed from having lost all his pets so, so rapidly. And she grabs him and she's like, go back to your swamp. The one waiting for you doesn't care that you're in the capital making so much money and all for her. She just wants you home. And it says, Shai Zen said that part for Shai, who would feel guilty if she did not. <laughs> Shai Zen don't care. No, Shai Zen does not care. Honey badger don't care. <laughs> And he's Shazen, confused. Don't give a fuck. He's like, how do you arg? And it's like, he said the last part as she rammed the dagger into his leg. How do you arg? <laughs> My leg. And so she's like, don't hunt me. You saw what I did to your pets and I will do worse to you. I'm taking the skulls so you can't send them again. Go back home. 
And then we get to the part where she's going towards the stables, then stops and thinks of something. It's like, it's not too far off. And she thinks to herself, nah, don't be a fool. You're almost dead from these wounds. And she decided to be a fool anyway. So we don't find out for a little bit what that was. Did anyone have any thoughts about what she was going to do? I had nothing. Not really at that point. Yeah. No. Okay. Fair enough. And then she, uh, we end her section with uh, a short time later, she's leaving the stables on Zoo's horse with Zoo's cloak. I don't know what she did with the skulls if she's not wearing his cloak. Maybe she threw him in a well somewhere. Be a horrible place to throw them, actually. I don't know why you would. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and we cut to Gautona and Ashravan. And Ashravan is asking him questions. Is like, was she, was she telling the truth? You really went to a forger to heal me? And Gautona's like, how did she, she got so much? Like, even his expression's right. Like, how did she do that? The way he frowns just before asking a question. Well, he cocks his head when not answered immediately. Like, did someone tell her that stuff and she wrote it in? Or, And uh, he's like, your wounds were beyond the skill of our resealers. And Ashravan's like, I thought nothing was beyond them. And Gautona says, yeah, so did we. And he's he's got the seal on his arm. And he's like, this is going to be a manacle, Gautona, a weight. And Gautona's just like, you will suffer it. And Ashravan's pissed. Like, I see you're not any more respectful from the near death of your liege, old man. You're judging me. You always do. Why do you always have to be judging me all the time? That's a Nacho Libre quote. Okay. I never saw Nacho Libre, so I, I believe you. Oh, it's a classic. You should definitely watch it. <laughs> there's something about Jack Black movies, which is weird because I like Jack Black. And there are some Jack Black movies that I really, really like. But just when he's doing the silly stuff I'm, and I see the trailers, I'm just like, eh. I don't. And that was Nacho yeah. Libre, like, all around. Like, I would see the trailers and be like, sure. that's, that's just dumb. Well, it's pretty that. silly. I mean, it was it's made for it's made for children primarily because it was made by Nickelodeon, but it's still pretty mm-hmm. fun. Was it? Yep, that's a Nickelodeon film. Oh my god, I had no idea. <laughs> On the other hand, like School of Rock is pretty good. Uh, I like oh, School the, of Rock is fantastic. I like the Jumanji movie sure. a lot, and he's really good in that. All the way back to I think the first thing I ever saw him in was that uh, uh, that that Bruce Willis movie, The Jackal. Mm. He has like a small role in that, and yeah. he's fun even in that. I like him in that. The first thing I saw him in was Never Ending Story three. I don't remember Never Ending Story three at all. I know that I've seen it at some point, but I don't remember anything yeah. about it. The uh, basically, there's a group of bullies that are trying to, you know, beat up Sebastian in the film, and Jack Black's the leader of the bullies. Mm. Oh, he's also an enemy of the state. I'd forgotten that. You want to see a good Jack Black movie? You got to watch Bernie. Mm. That was very good. Okay. Yeah, like yeah, he Not plays um. Jack Black. No, no, it's it's a much more subtle uh, performance from him, but it was really good. I was actually like, he got nominated for a Golden Globe and and didn't get it, and I was actually really pissed he didn't get nominated for an Oscar. I thought he killed it in that movie. Hmm. Interesting. Might check that yeah. out then. Oh, it's really good. So like, um, yeah, he plays he he play he plays a morgue attendant who gets in deep. Like he's like the loveliest guy in town, and he gets in deep with hmm. uh this crotchety old bitch who's like hated in town and their relationship is fascinating. I'm looking through his IMDb and there's a remarkable number of, uh, of roles with uncredited next to them. And just some, like the most random stuff like uh, he's in the Muppets as Jack Black uncredited. Oh yeah. <laughs> but like they, they said his name many, many times in that he's, he's in a movie, the movie sex tape as the owner of you porn uncredited. <laughs> okay. Nice. I, I, <laughs> all right well there we are 
Yeah, I just there's a lot of weird uh... Tropic Thunder Reign of Madness video short uncredited. Walk Hard the Dewey Cox story is Paul McCartney uncredited. <laughs> oh, I do remember yeah, that. The, he was... he's he's Paul McCartney. Paul Rudd's also one of the Beatles. So it's Justin Long. I think Justin Long was George Harrison. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just one scene, uh, and it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> oh, he was okay. he was great in High Fidelity too. I've I've seen High Fidelity. I don't remember uh, it well enough to. I like I like to yeah, think that his character in High in record store. Yeah, he's like the he's the obnoxious one. I like, I like to think that his character in High Fidelity is the same guy as his character in School of Rock. Because <laughs> like, at, at at the end of High Fidelity, he finally achieves his dream and uh, and joins a band, and he's actually pretty good. And then at the start of School of Rock, he gets kicked out of a band. And I'm just like, ah, oh, it's just it's the same guy. There you go. <laughs> Personality is very similar too. So, oh, he was Gulliver. I remember seeing the trailers for that, and that was another one where I was like, "That looks silly. I'm not seeing that." Oh uh, yeah, apparently that was trash. I, ne- I never saw it, but everyone yeah. On it. By all accounts, it was uh, it was not good. <laughs> I remember him in Goosebumps. That was the. It's a, a weird, a weird like he's the serious kind of role in the funny movie, but it uh, it worked. It worked okay. Yeah. I also really liked him in King Kong. See, that was I didn't like that movie at all, and so I don't uh, have positive memories at all associated with. Him. Yeah, fair. Anyway, sorry. That I was that was a very good movie. with Shallow. Oh yeah, Shallow Hell. That uh, that is. It did not age well, and I didn't no. like it. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't really start too great. That's what no. I was going to say. I didn't like yeah. it either, so I don't think it started well. But no, it ages no. even yeah. more even, it's even more poorly. Yeah, yeah it's not uh, it's not great. It's not great. No, nope. oh, he's he, he's going to be in the Borderlands movie as Claptrap. Interesting choice. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. He he he'd actually be less obnoxious than uh, the normal <laughs> Claptrap voice. True. Uh, okay, okay, sorry. That was a big <laughs> Jack Black side uh, side quest there. Hey man, if Wesley Snipes can have one, so can Jack Black. There you go. It's true. Right. Who would Jack Black be in this story? Would he be Jimmy or uh <laughs> No, he'd be Zoo. You think you really? I was gonna. I almost said that, and they're like, "No, that's silly." <laughs> no, no, that's that's silly. That would be. Silly. He's the emperor. What if he was the emperor? Oh my god! <laughs> emperor Jack Black. Nice. Yeah, that'd be pretty uh, pretty excellent. But okay, so we're we're back to Astrovan and Gautona, and he's like, "You're judging me, and one day I'll rid myself of you." You realize that, don't you? And I, when I when you read that part, I'm like, geez, this guy's mean to Gautona. Maybe she did mess up. And then you cut to Gautona being like, man, this that's uncanny. That is so like that is exactly how he how he was. And I was like, oh really? Like you you love this guy that much? He was kind of a dick. Yeah. Then like when she was going yeah. through his his journals and stuff, it's like he grew into a dick. Like he started out like you know the optimistic, hopeful one, and then just the weight of the emperor's responsibilities crushed him into a dick. Right. That is a sentence I never thought I'd say. <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing you don't want to be crushed into, it's a dick. Oh my gosh, have you guys watched Peacemaker? Uh, no. I, I, I wasn't hated going him in the to. movie. Yeah, I, I hated him in the movie also. I wasn't going to watch it until I saw uh, Chipper made a post about people are, I, I, that she didn't like him in the movie but people were telling her that it was good, so maybe she was going to check it out. And then later she put another post that was like, okay, you guys are right. It's really funny. It's so like, okay, fine. I mean, I'll I'm check sure out it is, the first episode. It's, it's, it's James Gunn. Like, he's like he's always pretty good. Yeah. But 
more, more, more aside, I didn't like the character. I also just don't rate John Cena. I think he's overrated. I yeah, agree. I'm not into him either. I have uh, there's yeah. nothing about John Cena that I'm impressed by ever. But I watched the first episode and I was like, oh, this is hilarious. Like it was really fun, and I ended up watching all five episodes. And not only is it really fun, once you get into it, the story that they're doing is actually kind of intriguing. Mm. And the the other characters are a lot of fun. My friend was telling me it's like, yeah, you gotta watch it. So and so as vigilante steals every scene and is really great. And he was right. It is actually really good. So I would totally recommend it. Okay. Well, I watched all three episodes that dropped to Vox Machina today, and I was disappointed by those. So mm. I don't know how I feel about taking other recommendations. Have you guys watched the Harley <laughs> Quinn, the Harley Quinn show? No, I've heard it's good. I've heard it's really good. Nope. I haven't watched it. Like it is excellent, no. and it is a lot of fun. And this reminds me the the Peacemaker show reminds me of it. So that's why I was mm. bringing it up. I I kind of want to watch Harley Quinn because like mostly because of the sporting characters. I'm sick of Harley herself, but I'm just like, oh, they put Kite Man in there and yeah. some kite some Kite Man. Kite Man sure. is hilarious. Uh, like a kite. Hell, man. Yeah. What they do with Clayface is hilarious. Like I've never seen anything like this approach to Clayface, but it's freaking Alan Tudyk. And he's amazing. Yeah, well, he's good at everything. Even even Kaylee Cuoco uh, as as Harley Quinn is really good. And I'm also I'm not that big a fan of Harley Quinn Bang in general. Go? Yeah, she, yeah, she plays Harley. Oh. in the cartoon, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I've so been living just, under a rock. I had no idea this was happening. Oh yeah, and it's it's just so so irreverent to to DC uh, like lore, and at the same time just hilarious and fun that i was it, it really hooked me and mm. uh love that show and it's getting a third season which season two ended so well that i was kind of like eh, do we need a third season but maybe it's it, it's it's gonna be interesting so yes both of those shows are on hbo max and i recommend both of them because they're just so fun and so uh so irreverent but it's just like so as an example the very one of the very first scenes in peacemaker like he, when he gets up in the hospital, he has a conversation with uh, with the the janitor, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "Hey, hey, psst, come here." And the janitor's like, "Dude, I don't have any weed. That was a one time thing." It's like, "No, sh- come come here." And he wants to. Know, they've told him that he can leave, and he's like, he wants to know if somebody's out there looking for him. But they get into this whole thing, and the janitor's like, "Man, I don't know you." And he's like, "I'm a superhero." Like, what superhero are you? peacemaker oh you're that racist superhero it's like what i'm not a racist i kill lots of white people like yeah but you kill more people of color than you do white people and he's like huh he's like uh, they have this whole conversation about it. he's like okay maybe you're right he's like yeah what you need to do is watch the ratio better maybe you need to pay more attention to the white people for when they're breaking the law so you can kill more of them and he's like okay no you have a good point <laughs> but but the the best part is they get into a talk about superheroes and he's like, you're not a like you're not a superhero. Whatever, you suck. And Aquaman, that's a superhero. And uh, John Cena's like, whatever. At least I don't I, I don't go around fish. And the guy's like, what? He's like, yeah, Aquaman fish. No, he doesn't. Yes, Aquaman totally fish. He, there's he, there's this this guy I know at the aquarium, and he says that Aquaman this gives guy him like I know at the a, aquarium. A, a twenty to go around the back and like with a sturgeon or something like that. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was just it. Like we're 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 like five minutes in, and I'm like laughing at this stupid Aquaman fish joke, and I'm like, okay, you've already got me. This is this is a lot of fun the way that they play it. And, is that a rip off of the Troy McClure thing from The Simpsons? Hey, but, I thought you said Troy McClure was dead, boss. 
No, what I said was he sleeps with the fishes. You see? Oh, no, 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 no. I hadn't thought of that, but I guess it is kind of similar. I mean, with Aquaman, it's the, it's an easy way to go, though, right? So, sure. Yeah. But yes. it, it also plays into what becomes a recurring joke on this show where he's like, the guy's like, that's not true. And he's like, hey, I I trust. And it turns out, I guess this is a guy he knows on the Internet because he says the guy's Internet username, like so-and-so 305 or whatever. It's like, I trust so-and-so 305. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, wow, okay. And then, like, for the rest of the show, there's, like, there's a joke about where he's, like, climate change doesn't exist. And he's like, uh, yeah, it does. It's like, oh, right. The internet is just, Facebook's just lying to me every day for no reason. Sure. <laughs> and so, yeah, he's, it's just, it's it's a lot of fun. Anyway, I like how we got off of Jack Black and within a page we're back and I took us in a whole different uh, <laughs> ridiculous thing. I'm sorry. <sighs> so, anyway... <laughs> Uh, Gatron is like, look, I'm going to go get the other Arbiters. I'm sure they want to see you. And the Emperor's like, fine, go, whatever. I don't care. Get out of my face. But then he stops him. He's like, it was my, the, the resealer can fix anything, but I was in bed for three months. It was something with my mind, wasn't it? And Gatron is like, she said that she wasn't going to write into him to figure that out. He wasn't supposed to figure that out, but he was always clever. Can't stop him from thinking if you restored him to what he was. So... Gatona says yes, and he's like, you're lucky your gambit worked. You could have ruined my ability to think. I'm not sure if I should punish or reward you for taking that risk. And Gatona's like, dude, I've been punished and rewarded by myself enough these last few months. So, And I like the the chapter ends with, for better or worse, they had their emperor back, or at least a copy of him. So I think it's pretty cool that it worked better than even they'd ever dreamed. That He's like, how did she possibly get him so exactly like he was? He's got the part where he he's like, it would be convenient to lie to myself and say that what she did just like uncovered his soul that had been there all along. Maybe someday I'll talk myself into believing it. And then the epilogue is Asheran up. He's given a speech. The murder of the Empress is not going to go unanswered. So the glory faction is in trouble now. And Gautona and Frava are watching. And they're like, holy shit, they're buying it. Like it's working. But Frava is like, well, I mean, if the girl wanted to make trouble, it's not like it would be hard to prove. The proof is on his body and has to stay there. So we're going to have to be careful. And Gautona's like, I really don't think we need to worry about her. She got what she wanted. Like one of her creations, one of her forgeries is on the throne. And she she doesn't want it revealed any more than we do. That would ruin it for her. And Frava's like, is he seriously that naive? It's almost worth keeping around just because of how naive and stupid he is. Which that's kind of funny. Where she's like, yeah, we found out that the emperor was about to get rid of him for her. But she didn't tell uh, Shai that part, those secret conversations, so the Emperor wouldn't remember them. But his speech, Asheran's speech is so good that Gavon is like, man, this this feels like something like he would have done 10 years ago. Like the the stronger, more influential Emperor, like this is the kind of move that he would have made. And she's like, OK, so the copy isn't perfect. We'll have to remember that. And that's when uh, somebody shows up and is like, oh, uh, so, Rava, did you uh, did you uh, go into your office yesterday? She's like, no, I, I was too busy with the rogue blood sealer and the emperor's demands. Like, uh, I didn't have time. Why not? What do you ask? So Shai went in there and stole the painting again. The painting that she forged, but that they all thought was real. <laughs> I love oh, that. Oh, Shai. Yeah. Just and, and left a rune carved on the back wall that says doesn't have a very nice meaning. So she like stole the painting and left her maybe left Frava maybe a literal fuck you carved on the wall. 
just says, Dear Father, there's a picture of a butt. <laughs> That's a reference. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yes, we, we cut to Shy, and she's been hiding for the last uh, day or two, I guess. The previous days, it says, uh, lying low in the city. She didn't try to escape the city, but she used her beggar essence mark to hide in the city's underground. And then she disguised the horse also to look like a really run-down old horse. So that let her get out of the city without any notice at all. Nobody cares about a beat-up beggar yeah, and horse leaving. I would never have thought to disguise the horse, but it makes so much sense. Right? Yeah. I would have been like, this horse is too nice. I better sell it. It's too noticeable. But she thinks differently, I guess. She's like, oh, I can just stamp this horse. Oh, uh, yeah. She's got all kinds of experience. So she stamped it to look old and decrepit, but it's still like a, a perfectly strong and healthy horse, yeah? Well, I guess no, because until she removes the stamp, it's actually like a decrepit horse, kind of like how she was a warrior while she was stamped. It changed her body to literally be that. Right. Man, this poor horse. It's gone right? straight from, like, like, I'm the strongest, healthiest horse in the kingdom to I have ribs, in like, poking out of me. <laughs> but yeah, she, she knocks the... the seal off and the horse transforms back it danced uncertainly this is like wait what the fuck just happened but she's like this horse is a really nice horse this is worth more than a small house in some parts of the empire i'm keeping this horse and she thinks about how the emperor is in there giving his speech she wishes she could have seen it her crowning work wore the mantle of imperial power well and i i didn't mention that she says that final night she when when we get when we were at that part she says she made some changes some crazy changes during that final night that she was like i don't know if this was divine inspiration or if it was lack of sleep that made me do this stuff but we're gonna find out and so she thinks about those here again the changes that she decided to leave behind there maybe those months of being genuine to gautona had changed her then she decides she's gonna pull out her survivalist slash hunter essence mark they're gonna be looking for her on the roads so she's gonna hide in the forest and then after a few months camping out in the forest then she can just leave the province after they've stopped looking for her and start tracking down the imperial fool that had betrayed her don't don't spend too much time on that. It's not going to work out, probably. Unless you learn a whole lot more than you know now about the Cosmere mm-hmm. and how to do stuff. Yeah. And then this last section, I think, is my favorite part. Where Gatona's sitting there. He's reading the book that explained that she gave him her real notes about what she did making the Emperor's soul. And not just the, the normal stuff remaking his soul, but the changes that she put in there that are basically, she's like, look. This isn't really changing him, making him a different person. This is just nudging him a little towards a path, just like a, a con man on the street who nudges their mark to pick a certain card. This is the him that could have been. Who knows? Maybe it's the him that would have been. But uh, so she she embedded in him his reaction to the assassination attempt. He's going to go back, go through a period of introspection, revisiting his journals, looking at what he'd been as a youth, his hopes and stuff. And he's actually going to try to recover them. He's going to turn into the emperor, the great emperor that he could have been, who actually gets out there and does shit and tries to change the things that need to be changed. Taking that single but so hard step across the line from dreamer to doer. And Gautona finds himself weeping, not for the future or the emperor. These were the tears of a man who saw before him a masterpiece. True art was more than beauty, more than technique, not just imitation. It was boldness and contrast and subtlety. In this book, he saw this incredible work of art. He finally acknowledges that what she does is art. And he's just like, this is possibly one of the greatest pieces of art that has ever been created. 
And yet no one else can ever see this. If anyone else knew what had happened, it would not only destroy what she did, but it could like shake the very foundations of the empire. And we end with him getting up in the morning as, as morning breaks and taking this matchless work of art and throwing it in the fire. So yeah, that's, that's the emperor's soul. It's very, it's a very interesting work. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Very emotionally satisfying at the end there when he finally acknowledges, yes, this is real art. Exactly, yes. Then we move over to something completely different, as Monty Python would say. (laughs) Now for something we think you'll really like. (laughs) It's a really old reference. If you can get that, you're you're a good person. (laughs) So this star chart is interesting. This is a lot more crowded than some of the other star charts that we've seen. But I just like their naming scheme. They have a very simple naming scheme where it's like first of the sun, second of the sun, third of the sun, all the way up to seventh of the sun. Very simple to understand. Yeah, there's no confusion there. And the moon that orbits the first of the sun is called first of the first. So, yeah, not hard to understand at all. Not super creative either, but, you know, whatever. Well, like, first of the first, if it doesn't have any other moons, so... That's a good point. Yeah. Like, what do you call it? No, that? but it allows for growth. If there were <laughs> any further satellites discovered, they just add them. <laughs> okay. And we, we find out that four of these planets, the first four in the habitable zone, and I think it say all four, or no, it says three of them, have like thriving human civilizations on them. So that's, that's also new. Yep. But, uh, What I find most interesting about this one is how it takes us into this idea of where Chris tells us about there's lots of planets out there that are inhabited but don't have shards on them. So those people are important, of course. They have the same sort of, you know, lives, beliefs as anybody else. The problem is that they really can't influence the greater Cosmere at large because no one can actually visit them. Travel on and off of planets, at least in the physical realm, is dependent upon perpendicularities. Here's a new word for us. Places where a person can transition from Shades Mar, also called the cognitive realm, onto a planet. Wait, haven't we heard perpendicularities in that couple in Sacred History with uh, Naz and Chris? Uh, might have, yeah. That makes that makes sense, because what, what they seem to be describing here, which I guess this is Chris writing this, Yep. What they seem to be describing here is what they used to get to Skadriel. Oh, yep. They absolutely did. Um, or it absolutely is mentioned. Uh, Fuzz actually tells Kelsey uh, after he, he tells them about what the drifter did, like how he got in. And Fuzz is like, no, you, can, you can't ride the perpendicularity across. Yeah. I like how you call him Fuzz. That's what, <laughs> Well, that's what he called him in that section. So. I know. But his, we know his name. I was just reading it, so... <laughs> But yeah, so we have heard the word, but this is where they actually explain it. In general, perpendicularities are created by the presence of a shard. The concentration of so much investiture on the cognitive and physical realm creates a point of friction where a kind of tunneling exists, and you can slide between the realms. Usually, it takes the form of a pool of concentrated power on the physical realm. Well, what kind of pools have we seen? The well and that. Oh, I wonder. (laughs) They're like... They they also said like the pits of Hatston was um was they described yeah. that as a perpendicularity as well and it's like well that was a right. pit full of rocks not a pool so I think right. there but may have been a pool concentration like, of power 
I think that oh, that's okay. – uh, I think if I, – I don't remember 100%, but I think Brandon may have said when asked. It's like there's basically a pool in the pits somewhere. Mm, well, I mean, that makes – I mean, that makes sense based on what we've seen in the well, the pool in uh, Elantris, and then – and obviously the pits of Hassan would have been a concentration of some of, – of a shard power, so. Yeah, yeah, all that ruined power that gets kind of squeezed into metal there. But so usually the perpendicularities being on a planet means there is a shard there, or if and if there's a shard, there's going to be a perpendicularity. They just kind of go together. Not the case here. So she says that the sick the system nicknamed Dromenad has three in fully inhabited planets and a fourth in the habitable zone, unique in the Cosmere. Only one like that. Mm. Only the Rosharan system can rival it, and there are one of the planets is inhabited solely by Splinters with a capital S. So that's Splinters. Yeah. Uh, yes, the wise rat people. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bunch of uh, anthropomorphic rats. Yeah. Who study ninjutsu. Yeah, exactly. And art. All four of these planets are mostly water, and one of them, the first one, has a perpendicularity. She's a, she says, there is certainly no shard residing here. I cannot say why there would be a perpendicularity here. Other than it must hint at things that occurred in the past of the planet, and there's probably investiture here somewhere as well. Though I have not had a chance to investigate, the area around the perpendicularity is extremely dangerous, and few expeditions sent there from Silverlight, the few expeditions sent there from Silverlight, have not returned. So, all right then. So there was a shot there, and someone killed it. Maybe. Something, so, some, something happened. Yeah, I feel like splinters like are probably... Mm. The power of power of a shard, like a shard has died, their power is dispersed, and a whole bunch of other people have grabbed onto it and taken little bits of their power for themselves. So, little tiny bits of investiture, huh? Yeah. There is there are several terms like that, capital letter sort of terms that uh, come up at various times, and I'm not sure that the books ever actually explain it. There's there's splinter, there's sliver, there's um, there's a couple other ones, but I think. I think what he said is that uh, you could consider, like, a Seon, for instance, a splinter. Mm. So, for whatever that's worth to you. But yes, that, what What do you guys, I guess, let's uh, let's go into the prediction section. What kind of story, given this, the small information that we have, what, planet with mostly water, has a perpendicularity, although the area around that is extremely dangerous, and probably some kind of magic here. It's not much uh, information. What do you guys think, what kind of story are we going to see here? That's the planet's mostly covered in water, is that right? Yeah, it says all four of the planets in the system has have water as the dominant feature, or a dominant okay. feature. I mean, I mean, maybe I'm misreading it, but it sounds mm-hmm. as though it could be. It's like, a, oh, all these underwater cities, cool. Like, we were talking about Aquaman earlier, so. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, like, given, like, little bits of investiture, I feel like you'll have, like, a whole population of people who have little bits of power in some way, but I'm not entirely. Yeah, I I don't I don't know exactly how. I've I've got nothing really. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it too much. Just in that, obviously we're going to go into it. I kind of I don't know. I sort of pictured something similar to Earth. I was like, we've got a lot of water. That's true. Dominant yeah. dominant feature. Um, but I really like the idea of something underwater. That would be really cool. And yeah, obviously there'll be some form of magic. Something possibly different to what we know already, or probably different to what we know already, but still I think we'll have 
a nice explanation of how it works. But you're probably a little bit different to what we're what we've read before in terms of shards and and things like that. So, but yeah, I really didn't put a lot of thought into it because I figured we will get into it very soon. Yeah, right. You're gonna read the whole thing before the next time. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I. I, I guess when the the predominant feature was said to be water, my assumption was just that that it was just like Earth, because you know Earth is predominantly water. Yeah, true. So I I figured it was just a planet that had more water than land, which is not what we've been dealing with. I feel like Skadrial, if I'm remembering the geography correctly, had more land and, than water, and so did. Uh, well, we were we were on one continent the whole time, so right. really there could have been lots of water, but it was like. It was also really close to the sun, and gotcha. they were only kept cool enough by the ash blocking the sun. So Yeah, their arrows will blot out the sun, sure. <laughs> so, you know, with that being said, I wasn't I wasn't always entirely sure what we would be what we would be seeing as far as that goes, with, with you know, the water thing anyway. But uh what I would say is I'm hoping for kind of what I was describing earlier is like just like a, a spacefaring um mm-hmm. civilization. That'd be an interesting uh left turn, more of like a sci fi uh space travel kind of thing. So yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping uh we see here, especially since there's so many habitable planets. Right. Um or even just people that are aware of the perpendicularity you know, and can travel between worlds, you know, something like that would be interesting too, just to kind of be on the inside of a general uh, populace that is aware of the perpendicularity would also be interesting. So, uh, yeah, any of that sounds real, real fun. So I will tell you guys, uh, this one bit of background on it is that of all the stories that have been published in the Cosmere so far, this one takes place the furthest along time wise. And we were, we were going to read white sand, which, is the earliest time-wise that's been published so far. And this back-to-back, where so it would be like the, the furthest back in the time, the furthest forward in time, one right after the other in my original plan. But uh, So this takes place in the future of the Cosmere as we know it today. Uh, compa- I'm, I'm looking at the, the timeline that they people have put together again, and if it's right, then this is like 5,000 years after Mistborn. So wow. It's, so we're it's jumping way ahead. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that gives credence to my spacefaring theory if it's that far ahead. Possibly. And I will also say, just because I'm interested, uh, if you guys have your books uh, in front of you, if you want to turn like one more page or whatever to see the, because there's always the, at the beginning of the short stories, there's the one picture, and you can take a look at the picture if you want. It's kind of uh, it's a messed up picture. Ah. Yeah. Right. Man, Alfred Hitchcock got got a hold of this world. <laughs> So, yeah, that uh, in case anyone is wondering for next time, what we're reading is this. We're reading Sixth of Dusk, a short story. It was actually, I think, originally published hmm. as a, in, in a book form with one other short story. Like it was published as a pair. But uh, we are reading the one story for next time. That is what we will talk about. And uh, after that, I go ahead and tell you guys, since we're moving right into it. That's true. After that, we are going to start. We're going to return to Skadriel already and start reading Alloy of Law, the first book in Mistborn Era 2. Woo! Ooh, exciting. Going back to the well, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't uh, I didn't realize how punny that was until I said it. My bad. 
originally I'd intended for us to have at least, uh, I mean, there were three graphic novels, so a little bit more of a break before we got back to Skadriel. But uh, since we're pushing that to I'm not sure exactly when, we will uh, move right on to Alloy of Law. I think it's supposed to come out in May, like I said before, but that's in the U.S., so I have no idea uh, if Australia will get it at the same time. So anyway, that will be a very um, – I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, it's uh, I always kind of say that, but I love uh, Era 2. There's a lot of back and forth on whether Era 2 is uh, as good as the first one or not. I like them both. They're very different. I think that's the main thing as we get into it that you guys will want to remember is do not expect – exactly the same thing from era two as you got from era one it's a very different kind of story especially since the first book was written the first book i started as like a writing exercise or something and on the plane i think and then it turned into a book and he published a book and it was just going to be one book and then it was so popular that he was then plotted out or he liked it so much he plotted out a trilogy to go along with one book so it ends up being four books uh yeah and wow. so it's a much it, it and they're much shorter than the Mistborn Era one books also like Mistborn okay. Era one took us each of those books took like 17 or 19 or 20 weeks, I think. And each of these books takes about the first one takes nine weeks, then 11 and then 12. So it's like oh, half, yeah. maybe a little bit more than half as long as either of any of those individual books. So there it's much quicker, much stuff. Uh, uh, it's It's a different sort of story. So just be prepared for that. Okay. Would uh would it be a spoiler for you to tell us how much further in time these books are? Uh No, I don't think that it would be much of a spoiler cuz I'm pretty sure they establish it relatively quickly. It's it is uh 300-ish years after, after the, the original books, the okay. original Mistborn okay. trilogy. Nice. Which uh there's implications there that uh may or may not uh for instance in in the original Mistborn trilogy, after he destroys the pits of Hassan, they're like, well, you didn't really destroy them, right? I mean, the crystals grow back. And he's like, yeah, but it'll be like a few hundred years before that happens. So that was one of the things he said when these came out. He's like, hey, this is maybe about the same amount of time that we were talking about right there. Ah. But yeah, so anyways, Sixth of Dusk for next time. Remember that this is this is a very different sort of story also from the things that we've read so far. And it'll be interesting to see what you guys think. It's uh. Just like Emperor Soul was kind of a different sort of thing than anything we've done, this is an even more different sort of thing. So uh, I'll, I'll be real interested to hear opinions on this one, especially the overall opinions that we get at the beginning. Uh, we have one new email and one new review. So let us get into those real quick, if I can find them. Our, our review says, great podcast. Uh, this is from Say WRSLA uh, in the U.S., Great podcast. I have really enjoyed following them on their journey through reading Sanderson's books. Love the predictions and theories they have come up with. So very short and sweet. Yeah. Great review. You, uh, you thug, you. There you go. Say Wursla. You're a thug. Thank you for your review. You're a thug. Hey, uh, if you too want to be inducted into the Misting crew, especially since we're about to go back to it. Yeah, there may be new misting types and oh, stuff. Oh, there absolutely so, will be. Oh well, there you go. So you know, send us a review. You too can be inducted in a misting crew. Not only are there new misting types, there's a new type of whole other thing that there's several types of. So. Uh, oh well, there you go. Joe Joe's horizons for this may just spread wide open. Who knows? And there was the one guy who asked us to wait until the second era to. I'm gonna have to go back and find his because I've forgotten about it completely. 
Ah, uh, he wants to be one of the new Misting Eras, huh? I should mm. just make him one of the old ones when he reviews. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so our, our our email today, and it's actually kind of three emails, which is funny. I'm going to have to read them to you because it, it's a, a hilarious progression. But it's from Naomi, who I think we've heard from before. It's called Hero of Ages and says, hey, y'all, it's Naomi from Georgia, the state. Remember, she before was like state, not country. Right on. Again, I'm still loving y'all's podcast. I was very glad when y'all read my review. I'm glad Joe made me a seeker. But my first thought was great. I get to become an inquisitor. Jokes aside, I'm loving this community and having a blast in the Discord. I just finished the last Hero of Ages episode. I was reading the Hero of Ages along with y'all until I became too invested and read ahead. I finished it by reading four hours straight, which ended up with me sobbing at the end. In the episode, Joe said Vin and Ellen shouldn't have died. I disagree. Vin and Ellen's death felt very poetic. Vin being a god and dying to save the world resembles Jesus' death. And with Brandon being religious, it makes sense. As a Christian, I really appreciate the religious parallels. The beauty of the books is that people can interpret them differently. I really like the ending, but y'all may have changed. Y'all may have changed y'all's opinions by the time I'm writing this. Um, I'm on pause there to say I agree with you. I thought it was a very poetic end, and I said that at the time, but uh, I thought it was very appropriate, very sad. Yes. Yeah. Well, without secret history to back it up, it was. Uh, it, it it felt it felt bad. You know. Uh. Well, not bad, but not great. Uh, but Secret History backing it up really, really kind of solved that issue for me. Mm. Uh, she goes on, I'm so glad I found y'all's podcast because The Final Emperor and The Hero of Ages became some of my favorite books of all time. Gave The Final Empire five stars and The Hero of Ages a review of 4.9 out of 5. The point one removed for Spook and Beldry. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah, I know why you're sad. <laughs> Uh, I don't understand how you catch the twists before they're revealed. The earring being a spike was a twist I never saw coming. I'm still hoping Dax volcano theories come to fruition. I can't wait to read the rest of the books with y'all. Jesus loves y'all. Wasn't to the time of next. Side note, my y'all count was 10. I usually don't say it that often. I just wanted to hear Data say it a lot. If Joe or Jamie could say it, I'd appreciate it. And then, hold on, before mm. it, we then get on to the second email, which says, I meant to say Dak or Jamie. My bad, y'all. I was about to say, I'm, uh, I, I say y'all quite often, being from old Texas, as I am. Tejas. You've, you've kind of my... gone roboty for some reason, by the way. Oh, oh is that Moses Nate? I thought that might have been that connection. Oh, I didn't hear that. Interesting. So, yes, if, if, if you guys want to say y'all, feel free. And it's not really something that gets said. <laughs> yeah, go for it. How say it. all doing? See, there you go. That, I imagine that it was sounds like as awkward. <laughs> I imagine it How sounds just as awkward doing? as non-Australians saying g'day. G'day. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> g'day. Oh, I remember random personal story time way back in the day when everyone used AOL Instant Messenger. Which was, was Wednesday, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it would have been like junior high or early high school for me, which we're talking like late 90s, early 2000s. Like, me and a couple other people I knew, we just randomly – people I knew online, too, not in real life. You could, like, just search on AOL and Messenger for other people's usernames. Like, people you didn't know, just who's out there online doing what. And we did a thing where we'd invite random people into, like, group chats and just see what happened. And then if they left, we'd invite more random people. And just over the course of months, we, we like, did this over and over. And eventually we got, like – there were some people who – came in randomly and had so much fun chatting with us that they stayed over months as we invited more random people. 
So we end up with like a group of like five or six people that would just hang out talking every night, invite random people. And there was the one girl from like New York or something. And when we did voice chats a few times, she was insistent that I had an accent, like a Texas accent. And I was always like, really? I mean, I guess maybe I wouldn't know if I did, but I've never felt like I have an accent. That's okay. If I mean, if you say so. And uh, it turned out it was because I said y'all occasionally. I mean, I don't know how frequently I say it. I, I don't think I've changed. I, I know that I use it because it's a word that we use here. But just that one word in and of itself constituted an accent to her. And she'd laugh like every time hmm. I said it. So, yeah. Accents are funny business, you know. Texas is a weird place, and uh, we've got we've got all sorts of uh, weird dialects here. I feel like the Southern drawl. That's probably true. I um I I tried to purposely weed y'all out of my vocabulary as a youth, but it's come back in because uh, whenever I talk to old people, they don't like it if I say something else instead of y'all. I've noticed. That's weird. Um, yeah, I've noticed like little subtle things. Like if I say you're welcome or if I instead of saying you're welcome, if I say no worries or no problem or my pleasure or not my pleasure, they like my pleasure. No worries <laughs> or no problem. They don't like that as much. Yeah, I read something about that not long ago, actually, where there's a, a, a portion of society that like you're welcome feels almost sarcastic or condescending. And so people look for other options like saying, Hey, no problem. Except then to some people that implies that it was a problem or, or you're, even though I just said it was no problem. Or even if, or, or like you're, you're implying that they thought it might've been a problem or something like that. Or, or even oh just God. you're being impolite because you didn't say you're welcome. So there's like these competing, mm. like subconscious ideas that people have about these different phrases that cause. Sure. Like, conflict yeah well you know i think it's it should be more about the tone in which you say it so if i'm like chad no problem well then obviously i'm a dick right <laughs> but if i say oh yeah no problem i'm happy to help you like you know that should be that should be construed yeah i don't know the word shouldn't matter as much as how you say them I, in my opinion uh i i use no problem a lot yeah i, I like no problem because i don't like saying you're welcome because i just don't like the way it sounds I also use no worries, actually, now that you mentioned that. I'm like, yeah, no worries, man. I say no worries, too, I'm yeah. Fine. You're welcome, I don't like, because it doesn't make, like, like, to me, it doesn't make logical sense. Like, when I do something for you and you say thank you, what, me saying you're welcome, which, you know, l logically says you are welcome. <laughs> like, being welcome is not really the same as saying, yeah, I didn't, you know, that I was happy to help you. Mm. What were you saying, Jamie? Sorry, you got I once signed off a phone call. Uh, I was in customer service and I meant to say not a problem or your uh, my ple my pleasure. And I ended up saying not a pleasure. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so don't no. say that. No, no, that's not <laughs> a good one. No, definitely not that. Uh -huh. Okay. And then we got the third in the string of emails from Naomi. Where she says, dang it, I listened to the episode where Joe made me a misting. You said seer, not seeker, and I hadn't read Hero of Ages yet, so I assumed you said seeker and not seer. Sorry for all the additional emails attached to the original. At least it's highly unlikely I'll be made into an Inquisitor. I feel like Adium mistings are so rare, and the Inquisitor, it'd be hard for Inquisitors to get Adium, that that might be even more likely to either become an Inquisitor or get taken to make 
give another Inquisitor that power, I feel like that's a dangerous one. Yeah. Mm. Well, the Inquisitors, we found out they could all use Adium, right? So they had to have all been made yep. by Mistborn or, oh, yeah. or Adium users. Well, and that's that's what that was one of the things I think before we in the book, before it even knew about before we found out about Adium Mistings, they were like they must have either killed Mistborn for this or started as Mistborn just to get the uh, to get that one power. Right. Yeah. So that was our, our email and our view. Thank you, Naomi, Thank you. for your email. If anyone else would like to send an email, the address is thesanderlanch at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and places like that for all of your Sanderlanching needs. Remember, next time is Sixth of Dusk, the short story, and then we will be moving on to Alloy of Law, returning to Skadriel. So I'm excited for those. Alloy of Law is conveniently for me a very uh, consistent book with chapter lengths. So it'll be like two, 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 and then sometimes three, but mostly two. So nobody else probably cares about that. But just to me, it's like, oh, this is very convenient. Thank you, uh, Brandon, for the way that you wrote that. Oh, man. Music by Miracle of Sound, and obviously we'll be having a new one-time use song for next time, so make sure you tune in, if if for nothing else, than to hear the song that I've chosen and to judge whether you think yeah. it's appropriate for the story at hand. <laughs> I'm excited. There's always discussion about that in the uh, in the Discord, about how what song what the song's going to be, or when I post the song, what the story's going to be, or and how once it comes out, how appropriate they think I've managed to, how closely to the mark I've managed to hit. So that's fun. So thanks, and wasing to the time of next, everyone. Colo? Cool.